Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? everybody and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. Um, a bit of an impromptu podca- podcast and one that I've been looking to do for a while. Um, I wanted to bring on the wonderful Harry from um, from our insights to talk about Tim Arugbunum. Um, previous to this, I suppose just after the transfer window, but in light of Bubakar Kamara's injury and the fact that we know that he's going to be out for more than likely the rest of the year of 2024 we may not see him again till 2025 um which has been a pretty much a blow to the solar plexus of a lot of villa fans and to, uh, to what people think the team's prospects are over the last 14 games of the season um i suppose it's only it's only worthwhile that we would look at the next man up and that's what i've called this one today um who is tim Urgbunum and uh, somebody that the academy was very very high on absolutely since we stole him uh, i suppose poached him from from um West Brom, along with probably I'd say about sixteen thousand other other uh, prospects at this stage. I think think that was the last uh, count was sixteen thousand people have signed from the academy to Aston Villa through Mark Harrison and uh, somebody who I think is going to get more and more involved in the team as the year goes on. But I could sit here and pontificate about somebody that I've seen sporadically within the championship last year for QPR. But I got the wonderful Harry from Our Insights uh, to talk to us today about Tim Bunham. Thank you so much for your time today, Harry, and thank you for joining us. That's all right, Neil. Um, you might have got the right QPR fan on because I was pretty hot on uh, Tim Bunham. I, I was I was one of his biggest fans, I'd say. So hopefully I can give a little bit of positivity to what is a bit of a bleak situation for Villa at the minute. Injury well- Injury-wise, indeed. Yes, yeah, injury-wise, indeed. And you know what? It was one of your threads that I read on uh, on Twitter with regards to young Tim, as we affectionately call him here, um, and the podcast after. Uh, it, was one, it was one of the good things that Stephen Gerrard gave us. He called him young Tim because he couldn't pronounce his surname. And, and since then, we've done the same. But um, Tim was obviously probably a beneficiary of Stephen Gerrard's time at the club at Aston Villa, considering he, uh, he got uh, game time under him. And uh, then Michael Beale took him to, to QPR. So talk to us a small bit about his time at QPR um, under Michael Beale and, uh, and maybe how he progressed or where he started off within the club. And talk to us about him. So obviously Beale had him at Villa. Um, and for a while during that transfer window, we were speculatively linked with himself and also Cameron Archer. And there was a feeling amongst QPR fans that one of those was going to come um, but neither were really allowed to leave or it didn't seem that way. Um, and I do feel un- unless he was going to come and play for Beal, he wasn't going to leave Villa that season. So unless, well, although no one had really seen him play, everyone was quite excited when he joined. Um, 
And then that excitement compounded after his first appearance. He came off the bench away against Swansea and you saw you saw why he's a Premier League player, really, or, or why he was on the books of a Premier League club. Um, very confident, confident on the ball. I think he only got maybe 20 minutes that game, but sort of changed the game, drove through the defence or drove through the midfield. Um, looked looked like we'd uh, got our hands on a good player here for the level. Um, and under Beal was when he did ultimately play his best football for us. Um, and I understand for you guys, he might be playing a bit deeper, but for this, in that system, we played the, well, Villa fans might know it as the Christmas tree formation or a 4-3-2-1, the same that Steven Gerrard used um, during his time with Villa. And he played as one of the forward-thinking eights. So we had Stefan Johansson or Sam Field sitting as the six, and there were two eights. And so sort of box to box, but he was definitely given a bit more of license to carry. Um, yeah, played his best football under Beal, Strong, strong in the duel, read the game well, progressed the play well. Um, and it seemed like he was flying under Mick Bill, really. Um, and then Mick Bill controversially left um, after doing a whole interview saying, oh, you know, I'm not yeah. going to jump ship. I'm sure you've seen it. And then... That led to Neil Critchley being appointed, and then he was using a double pivot, which is probably more where you're going to see him play. And unfortunately, that period was probably his his weakest in terms of performance level for QPR. Um, he looked slightly careless, maybe with his passing, um, just a little bit off the pace for a couple of months. I mean, Critchley was only here for I think eleven games. So, <laughs> He was us for about 11 games as well, Critchley. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem to last very long unless he's at Blackpool and then they love him at Blackpool. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it is important to note the emotional side of, like I said, I don't think Tim would have come if it wasn't for Beal. Mm -hmm. So then for Beal to leave, and he's probably at a place now where, you know, he might not have necessarily wanted to come and play for QPR. Yeah. Um, and or the manager who's shown so much faith in him has then jumped ship. I think that could have contributed to the dip in performance level for that period. Um, so I don't want to write him off as a double pivot there, but that was his weakest period. And then Ainsworth came in around, I want to say early March, end of Feb, around that sort of time. And he was back to his best. And Ainsworth's play style was heavily reliant on off the ball work sort of winning the second balls being good in the duels and he flourished really um we, we he looked he looked good under Ainsworth and then he got injured during under 21 uh duty for England and we just we we missed him badly I think we I don't I don't think we got a win during a, a six or seven game run where he wasn't there. Mm. And it looked like we were going to go down. He came back in and played. He played a little bit further forward again, sort of played in front of a two as a 10. But, you know, he was get, he was getting back. He wasn't playing so close to the striker. But I think the idea for that was because he's so good off the ball and his pressing was good and he's athletic. He got around the pitch well. He won the ball so high up the pitch for us. And our points per game when he came back, I think, I think doubled. Um, 
uh, compared to the period when he was when he was out and he really helped keep us up. So he did also play a bit in a double pivot there um, next to Sam Field at points when Jamal Lowe was playing in the 10 and looked better than he did it when he played in the double pivot uh, under Critchley, which again might show that it wasn't necessarily that he's not capable to play there, but it might have been external factors. So, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's, I guess, his season under three managers. Two, he Mm. looked promising and played a number of different roles. And I think think he does stand out off the ball and what he offers athletically. And I think it's a good component. Well, they're two good components to be a Premier League player. I mean, there's a lot of players who are good in the championship but just haven't got that athleticism. We've got Ilias Chair, who I don't think will ever play in the Premier League just because he's not quite athletic enough. Um, but that's not something that Timmy Rabunam's missing. It's a, you've, you've actually painted a picture of a, of a guy who was... And I could be wrong on this, I suppose. So, started off with a manager that knew his game, got the most out of him, had him playing as an eight, which actually surprised, surprised us. And, and had him gave him license to go forward a small little bit. Um, then he had another manager that came in that maybe knew of him from being with Aston Villa, but didn't know his strengths. And then, you know, decided to go, okay, right, I'm going to play him as a six. So, and then he, Ainsworth comes in and plays him a small bit further forward then again as well. So a guy who's probably been asked to kind of play between two stools, uh, three different managers at 20 years of age. Sounds like he's kind of somebody that, that managers kind of went... Based on when you talked about with with when he was out of the team, he the the points gained and points lost or whatever the case it was. Seems like managers were looking to him to kind of save the day, to, not save the day, but to be. You have to come in here and you have to fill the gaps that these other guys can't do, regardless of where we put you. And you're 20 years of age, and and maybe that was. I'm not making excuses for him, but maybe that could have been something that that would uh, that would that would have affected me if I was 20 years of age. Put it that way, because he's probably looking at specialization all his life um, in certain positions, mm-hmm. specifically coming up and being with England under 21s and stuff. And then he's been asked to be Mr. DIY, and there takes a, a level of of maturity to be able to do that and to get your head in the game and not become frustrated at being this Swiss army knife at that age, that age, there's a level of maturity and not everybody has it. And certainly 20 year olds don't have it. Like John McGinn has it at, uh, at Villa. There's a guy that I absolutely rave about at Bristol city, um, called, called Jason Knight. He's 23 years of age. I did a piece on him today. I just absolutely love him. He's Irish and, and I just love him. He's a Swiss army knife and he's 23 and he's 200 games played for Derby and for Bristol city and for, and for Ireland. And, the guy would literally, the guy put on the gloves in the morning and go, yeah, come on, I can play in goals. And he just has that, it just doesn't phase him. But for kids who who come up through specialization, somebody like maybe Tim did, that can be a kind of a detractor for them mentally, I suppose, if you aren't. And that's not negative on him because it happens 99.999% of players. Not every young player is equipped to turn in a sixpence and have the maturity to do that. What I wanted to get back to as well is you talk about double pivot. And I think you actually explained an, a nice player, a player that I'm... You've actually got me a small bit excite, more excited because 
I actually think that this gives us leeway to push Douglas Louise back into the six, into the into the the Camara role, and maybe bring young Tim into the Douglas Louise role. And I know we'll miss out probably on the passing aspect of the game that Louise has. But if you're talking about a gut buster that can get around the field and close down passing lanes, uh, the athleticism just jumps off the pitch. That gives him a small bit more free reign. So. I like what you said with regards to the box-to-box eight, albeit we have one in, in John McGinn. You can never have too many of those guys. If you pack the midfield with those guys, you're going to come up against teams that will not want that mid midfield pressure and, um, and, and it will allow us press at different areas areas of the field. So so really good stuff. So just to keep me honest, in case my mind is, is, is straying slightly with regards to what you said, which one of the three... Iterations of Tim or Boonham last year, did you say would have been your favorite? Would it have been the Garth Ainsworth? Uh, I presume it's not the Critchley one, or would it have been the, the Michael Beale version? So I, I think the best version was was under Beale for me. Um, played our best football. He looked his best, more well-rounded, I'd say. Um, and but then but then Ainsworth, he had the biggest impact, like I say, he came back. And we we missed that profile that he brought off the ball because our midfield was so un- unathletic. Um, so yeah, I, I've given a, not a great answer there because one <laughs> okay. one was be- one was better to watch, but one was uh, well more important to the team. So under Angel, yeah. it's more important to the team. Um, yeah, sorry, a bit of a no, of no, a, no, and, and about the Swiss Army knife um, comment. He he didn't come out the team when he was fit. He he just he just didn't. And like you say, it might have affected him, you know, just being put in different positions. And you know, maybe he didn't have a couple of good games. As a, I I recall one uh, Hull away where he just he was nineteen nineteen at the time. Like he just had he had a bad couple of games in a row. Hmm. Maybe at Villa or maybe at a club was that was in the top six in in the championship. Um, that season, he might have been taken out the firing line. Um, and because our squad was so thin, there are a few players that could have benefited from that. And maybe he could have, at one point, had a few games out and come back in. Um, but hopefully it's, hopefully the loan benefited him. He, he had a, obviously a lot of responsibility. Um, and in the end, we did stay up. So I'd like to think yeah. he rose to it. I would say so too. I actually... I was for his first start against Norwich City. I was in Villa Park that day, and I remember um, <laughs> I'm I'm one of the the Lions Club chairman, and I remember we were in a chair, chairman's meeting, and literally everybody's phone seemed to ping at the same time. We're all supposed to be doing very very important business, and everyone's phone pinged at the same time, and the whole thing just went shuddered to a stop, and somebody just went. Fucking hell, Tim is starting like that. I <laughs> it was that kind of a situation. Villa went on to win that game uh, 2-0, and Tim played really well. Uh, he was taken off after the 73rd minute, I think, for uh, and Douglas Luiz came on. Um, but I remember, you know, he didn't look out of place. He looked absolutely every inch of a Premier League footballer that day, albeit against a poor, a poor Norwich team. But I wanted to highlight something here as well in true fashion of For the Love of Pomegranate podcast. Um I want to just share up with, with a couple of you guys out there just to just to take a look at young Tim because what I think is I mentioned, you know, if we can if we can get 80% or 70% of uh Bubakar Kamara in one aspect 
if we can get 100% to Bubakar Kamara in one aspect and 70% to Bubakar Kamara in another aspect from Tim and whoever else is there, whether we have to mix and match over the course of the next games and, and kind of pick our styles to choose our fights, or choose our styles to pick our fights uh, situation, I think that that's what we would be looking at. And I genuinely believe that Tim Ogbunum is going to be more involved than a lot of people think. I've seen on Twitter that Callum Chambers would be the man that Unai Emery wants to turn to. Personally, I think that Unai Emery, like Unai Emery has come out and said that Callum Chambers could leave. They were offering him to clubs in the championship, um, left, right, and centre, and Callum Chambers turned those down. Now, that probably goes to show that even when then Donker was gone, Chambers wasn't in the consideration for this defensive midfielder position. Yes, we can talk about Chambers being a centre half, maybe uh, in in a, at a push. But Timur Boonham, to me, would be next man up after Yuri Tielemans, I think, um, within this midfield setup. But what I wanted to do is take a little look at him here from a defensive point of view. And apologies, I don't have my normal graphs up here. I just didn't have time. So I took screenshots from both SofaScore and from FB Ref. And what we can see here is that when, in, during, when defending, Tim and Bubakar Kamara are not that too dissimilar, is what I would say. They're not too dissimilar. And with Bubakar Kamara um, being dribbled past less per game, with uh, that, that's probably the only piece. So when we're looking at an athleticism point of view and we're looking at a defensive point of view, there isn't a massive drop-off between the, between the two. Albeit one being based in the championship, one being based in the Premier League. This is solely just output, 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 not taking into account strength of schedule and the strength of opposition. Although, I can't say the same for the next one. When we look at the top uh, graphical bar here is Timur Bunim's passing statistics. Um, and then we look at the bottom one is Bubakar Kamara's. We will miss that area of passing. Now, heavy, heavy context I want to show here. And for those of you listening, and for those of you, um, for, for those of you listening and not able to see the graphs here, with the defensive graphs, they were pretty similar. There were a lot of green in there for both players. Very high percentiles, high high capacity tackling with regards to the amount of tackles that people made, the successful tackles, the areas that they tackled in, so on and so forth. With actually Timur Boonham having a imp very, very impressive um, high tackle rate within the final third, within the attacking third, which will suit our high line, I suppose, as well. The fact he can get back and forth between that line. Now, for when we look at the passing stats, for those who are listening to this afterwards and not viewing this, Timur Boonham's passing stats are significantly lower than uh, Bubakar Kamara's. Now, there is context towards this. Tim averages about 24 passes per game. Bubakar averages double that per game. So, number one, by, by dint of averages, the more passes you make, the more likely you are to have a higher pass completion rate, so on and so forth. So, I take the... I take the red with passing with a pinch of salt slightly here, but it is worth noting that you have a 73% pass, pass completion rate for Tim Eric Boonham, and you have an 86% uh, percent pass, com pass completion rate for Bubakar Kamara. So he will need to up his game in that aspect. My question for you, Harry, is, is it was it noticeable? Was it noticeable for... Um, for, for you when he was playing, that potentially his passing may not have been as rounded as uh, as you would have thought when you look at the numbers. So, um, yeah, passing, his passing probably was a weaker point. Um, and when it comes to his ball progression, he was definitely more of a dribbler than a passer. Um, yeah, it was I didn't put in dribbling here because I thought it would have been very heavily skewed the opposite way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, his passing, I mean, short passing was pretty good. Um, I don't think he's, 
he's not going to be a Doug, Douglas Louise in terms of spraying passes wide. Um, I don't think that's really his sort of thing. But I do think a real important bit of context here with the passes completed and the passes attempted. Um, if you watched us under Gareth Ainsworth, the whole team was not passing the ball. It was um, it was sit behind the ball, try and be difficult to play against. And um, like I said, playing off of second balls. So... Yeah, and and same same sort of thing with Critchley. It was more pragmatic. I think if you'd taken that screenshot, maybe December last year, it wouldn't look half as bad for Tim. Mm. Um, I mean, it would, probably wouldn't look quite quite as good as uh, Bubuka Kamara's, but wouldn't look half as bad. So, I would um, I would say that's a key bit. And it's, if you, there's one game we beat Burnley two one away to stay up. He didn't complete a pass in like sixty minutes. But, but the midfielder next to him completed maybe two passes. It was just that was the type of performance that Ainsworth used towards the end of the season to keep us up. So I would say some of it is down to play style as well, which is the way with a lot of these stats. But um, yeah, I, I know that doesn't make for pretty reading. So I thought I'd get that out there. No, and, and it's 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 context as well, because a lot of people look at statistics, me included. You know, I, I, I heavily base an awful lot of things on statistics. Then I go to Y Scout first. So statistics go to me. Here's a pin, pinpoint. I can pinpoint this player. I go to Y Scout and I watch maybe 30, 40 minutes of clips on them. And I go, yeah, that statistic doesn't measure up here. This guy's fine at dribbling. So the number might look poor. But, you know, when you look at four or five games in, you go, he doesn't strike me as a person who's who can't keep the ball at his feet or he's running over running the ball or he's getting tackled all the time, you know. So sometimes the eye test, uh, you have to marry the two together. You and do. for me, with regards to with regards to Bubakar Kamara, like when I look at this passing here, and, I, and the only reason I say it here is because Lee Bruce in, in the comments, he says, Buba's passing has been horrific in recent weeks. I would go so far as to say that, you know, within the, within when Villa played Chelsea, was it Chelsea, I think it was, Bubakar Kamara couldn't pass the ball out of his way, you know, in that game as well. So, now, he's been absolutely brilliant for us, don't get me wrong. Um, but it goes back to my statement when I said that if we can get 80% of Bubakar Kamara's defensive ability and 75 or 65 or 70% of Bubakar Kamara's passing ability and then from, from Tim, and then maybe we can get 90% of Bubakar Kamara's or 100% or 120% of Bubakar Kamara's passing, um, passing ability and 60% of his defensive ability from Yuri Tielemans and we mix and match throughout the year, that's the way we're going to go. There won't be a like-for-like replacement in this instance here. And the more of the player that you've painted there, albeit in a 35-game sample set for for uh, a 32-game sample set for for um, for QPR, does paint like a person that we could play in that eight role, that more um, industrious role to get in and around the place and and uh, maybe drop Douglas Louise back. I still don't think that dropping Douglas Louise back into that area is going to be much of an issue with regards to taking his passing out of the, out of the game because he's still going to be able to play that quarterback position. He's going to be able to spray those passes. And look, call a spade a shovel here. When Pau Torres gets back into the team, that quarterback position is going to Pau Torres because he's just got a wand of a left foot. So there is mix and match ability, I think, here. And there is, there is, an, there is a... Plan A, Plan B, Plan C that we could have within the team. Um, albeit I don't expect him to come in and hit the ground running and be a Kobe, Kobe Minu or a, a, a Lewis Miley just straight out of the gun. I do expect him to be a very, very good player for Aston Villa uh, in the in the 
with with ups and downs throughout the the course of the next fourteen games as we push towards Champions League. Um, Harry, thank you so much for your insight today. I really really appreciate it. Um, I wish you guys all the best for the for the rest of the year. You know, QPR. I always remember back the days of Andy Impey. Trevor Sinclair, Les Ferdinand, when I first got into, into watching uh, Premier League and stuff like that, you watch for match of the day, an incredibly, um, incredibly athletic, incredibly exciting team back then with Ray Wilkins and so on as well. Um, I want QPR to be back in the Premier League again. I don't, I didn't like them in their last iteration under Tony Fernandez. Don't know what it was. Maybe it could have been the Harry Redknapp connection. I'm just don't know, being honest. But they've always been a team that I've always wanted. They feel like a proper team. I remember Ian Holloway being their manager at one stage, and just it's hard to dislike Ian Holloway whenever he's over a team. You know, it's for me anyway. It is. But uh, I wish you all the best and all the success for the rest of the year. Uh, get out of that relegation zone and push up the league because. Um, a good QPR team is good for not just London football, but you know it's good for it's it's good for us nostalgic uh, football fans as well. Cheers, Neil. Yeah, I don't think many I don't think many fans like that QPR team that was last in the Prem. Like, even QPR <laughs> fans, there, I included, full of mercenaries. It was. It was, and you know what? I was only looking. I was looking at free agents when obviously Camaro went down. I was looking at free agents. I was like, Jesus, there must be somebody on the market that's still there. And Jan and Vila came up, and I went. There's a, there's a guy who was supposed to go to QPR, ended up going to Sunderland. And like, you know, and that was the time of the mercenary that was going to QPR. And he went and he took more money at Sunderland and ended up at Ruben Kazan. And while he had a great, great, uh, a great time at Sunderland, you know, it just, I always remember when he nearly signed for QPR that year as well. And that, that to me was like QPR getting out over their skis with regards to the players they were buying um, from a, an affordability point of view and a, and a chemistry point of view, I think, as well. But that's what Harry, Harry Redknapp does, unfortunately, I think. That's what yeah, he, does. he does. He does. Right, well, anyway, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, Neil. Um, best of luck for the season. Hopefully, Tim doesn't disappoint. Absolutely. I think we're all on that as well. And thanks so much to everybody for watching and for listening as well. Thanks so much. We will be back later on in the week. Uh, we'll have Paddy back for a preview as well of uh, of the game at the weekend. Also, I have another podcast one in the one in the evening. Uh, I was going to say in tomorrow evening, but I'll be murdered tomorrow evening if we did it. Would it would have been Valentine's Day. Um, but we will have another podcast. I'm going to be getting somebody very special on to, to, to chat to us. And we're going to call it the Positivity Podcast. It's what we're going to call it. Uh, because uh, I like to, I, I want to kind of find out a couple of things inside of this person. and somebody that you all know as well. So we will see you later on in the week with a bit more from For the Love of Pomegranate Podcast. Thank you so much, Harry, once again. And to everybody out there, stay safe, stay healthy, and up the villa. Podcast Network.